that intro video is not over the top. I just want to let you know that. It isn't. It's perfect for a series called Battle Studies, right? Last week we started this series, and you guys remember the battle that we started with? What did we start with? David and Goliath. David and Goliath, and we talked about the fact that we need to be people who consistently ask God for help. Everything all right there in the back of the room? I feel like I got, yeah, just, listen, we're generous, but we're not that generous, all right? Just get, you know, ushers running into each other and drunk, it's it's all good. See, we need to ask God for help, okay? Even with the smallest tasks, like carrying the offering plate to the back of the room. We need to ask God for help, right? We talked about that last week, all right? This week is kind of part two of that discussion because uh, not, we're not talking about the, the what we need to do necessarily. We're talking about how we need to do it, how we need to do it. And I got a question for you as we get going. Here's my question. How, off, or how, long, how long, on average, do you think the average person sticks with a diet? Start shouting it out. How, how long? Three days. <laughs> Three days. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Based on my extensive research this past week, <clears throat> from multiple sources, and this is true, multiple sources, this says, <laughs> Wow. There's going to be some crowd participation, but it's not yet. (laughs) Multiple sources say, on average, the average person sticks to a diet for five weeks, two days, and 43 minutes. Now, the 43 minutes makes me laugh a little bit. It's like, how do we know that? But... See, admit that seemed a little long to me. I mean, I was kind of impressed by that. If you're like, man, five weeks, that's, that's pretty long. I think a lot of us answered based on how long we've stuck with a diet. We're like, oh, six days, <laughs> seven days, something like that. I told you guys last week that my man Matt over here did keto. <laughs> Not five weeks, two days, 43 minutes though, right? More like two days, 43 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> Now, there's no judgment behind that because I think keto is crazy, but I'm just telling you, I was impressed that you stuck with it for two days and 43 minutes. When you can't have a strawberry for two days and 43 minutes, that's kind of, that's dedication. But still, even five weeks though, that's like, oh, you know, that's pretty good, but five weeks isn't going to get you the P90X body, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's probably not going to work. So let's try another question. Uh, what date, what date do you think is the average date, and I'm talking date on the calendar, that people give up on their New Year's resolutions? <laughs> what, what was that? January 2nd. January 2nd. Woo! I thought you'd have a little more faith in people than that. Maybe February 2nd. A little more momentum. Average date that people give up on their New Year's resolution, January 19th. It's January 19th, right? 
It's like you get enough momentum and motivation as you turn into the new year to get you a couple of weeks, but then, you know, it just kind of falls by the wayside. I'm not saying this to make us feel bad about ourselves. I'm just saying this to point this out. We don't stick with things very much. We tend not to, in fact, I would say like this, we tend to give up on things rather easily. Is that true? I think we tend to give up on things rather easily, particularly the harder they are. If that's the case in my regular, everyday life, it's certainly the case in my spiritual life. I give up on things far too easily. Remember I said, last week we talked about being people of prayer. We need to ask God for help. Today, we're talking about the how, and here's what I mean by the how, right? Here's the main thing. I don't want you to miss this today. Persistent prayer is worth the effort. Persistent prayer. God wants persistent prayer. We've talked about it a little bit before, but we're going to see it for sure in this battle today, which we find in Exodus chapter 17. Okay, so you turn there with me. Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 8. It's not just that God wants me to seek him. It's that he wants me to seek him with, what's the phrase? You guys remember the phrase from the Bible? Seek me with... All your heart, with all your heart. And this is one of the most primary ways that that desire shows itself is that I don't just pray, I pray persistently. I pray in a way that shows that I'm not giving up on this prayer. And so often I think that we do ask God for help. We do ask God for things, but we stop short of actually praying persistently. Right, so uh, Exodus chapter 17, the battle here is between the Israelites and the Amalekites, okay? This is the Israelites and the Amalekites. This is uh, Moses in charge at this time. His right-hand man is named, you guys remember his right-hand man's name? Joshua. This is actually the first time he's mentioned. Amalekites show up out of nowhere, which tends to happen sometimes in our lives, right? In the battles that we have to fight when we find ourselves up against an adversary, maybe not a person, uh, but a situation or a diagnosis. Things like this show up and all of a sudden we find ourselves entrenched in a battle that we must endure. And this is the case for them. So uh, let's read the first couple of verses here and then we're gonna break it down. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. At Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Interesting. The enemy shows up, and Moses' first move as field general for this particular army is to split up the leadership. He tells, he tells Joshua, Take your guys and fight in the field. I'm going to go on top of the hill with the staff of God. What he's going to do here is he's going to seek God for the victory. That's what he's going to do. Him and a few other friends, him and Aaron and her, they're going to the top of the hill and they're going to do something interesting. We'll see here in a minute. But they are going to seek God for the victory. And that's the stance he's taking during this battle. 
And so this is so important that they lose three guys at least who are up here on the hill doing this as opposed to down in the field ready to fight the battle. And here's where uh, we need to begin to answer our question, okay? God wants persistent prayer. And so the question I want to answer today is why? Why is that the case? I I can't tell you the reason, like why the system works this way. It just does. But what I can tell you through this passage are a few reasons why, right? There are some reasons why we can see this within the text, okay? So the rest of the sermon this morning in your notes is kind of answering this question, right? God wants persistent prayer. Why? Let's look at number one. Persistent prayer teaches me that God is not a genie. Okay, persistent prayer teaches me that God is not a genie. So, I had Deb, my assistant, find me a prop for this. I thought, we're going to do a sermon that's all about, like, Moses and the staff of God. How can I do this without a staff? It's funny, I thought that it would take her longer to find this. So I, thought, I got kind of a weird request, request for you. I'm texting her. I'm like, can you find me a staff? Okay, I'll do my best. And I think, I'll hear, from, I'll hear from her in a week and we'll see what happens. And she texts me back in 30 seconds with a picture of Kim Hainer going like this. <laughs> I thought, man, you guys are awesome. Okay? But this is what this is. The staff of God. Moses says, we're going to go up on the hill with the staff of God. Um, Do you guys remember where this came from? Right? Let's go back a couple of chapters. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 4. Moses, rewind the clock a little bit. Moses is talking with God in the burning bush. And he's getting his first instructions from God saying, hey, you need to go see Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And if you do this, uh, then you know, I'll be glorified and everyone will know that I am the Lord. And Moses is having some trouble with this because he sees that this is a daunting task, right? He's kind of nobody and he's going to walk up to Pharaoh and say, hey, God says, let my people go and it's going to go fine. I don't think it's going to go fine. And so in chapter four of Exodus, we see this little interchange. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? It's one of my favorite God questions. Hey, what's that in your hand? As if he doesn't know. A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. (laughs) You would too. Unless you like snakes. But I don't think anyone likes snakes in this room, so... (laughs) I think you can relate to this situation. But the thing became a snake. All Moses did was he threw it on the ground. That's it. He just took a staff that he probably chose a while back to help him with shepherding and walking, all that kind of stuff. And to him, it's just a normal staff. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. Now, did Moses have anything to do with that? No, Moses didn't have anything to do with that. It's a little bit of an image for us for the task that he was about to undertake to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, let my people go, and then all the plagues happen, and finally now they're out of slavery in Egypt. This is what the book is named after, Exodus, the Exodus. And let me ask you this question. Did Moses have anything to do with that? Not not really. He was the guy that said yes, but he's not the one who's performing all of these signs. He's not the one who is 
turning the Nile to blood. He's not doing that, right? Who's doing that? It's God. And so can you imagine for a moment if you're Moses and now you're carrying around this staff full time and you're leading the Israelites through the wilderness and you encounter enemies in the wilderness, what would the staff remind you of? This staff, which he has come to call the staff of God, interesting, it's not his staff anymore, it's God's staff. Why? Because it would remind him consistently of the God that he's serving and that it's his power and his purposes that have the say-so. And so the Amalekites show up, back to chapter 17. The Amalekites show up on their front door and Moses tells Joshua, go fight. I'm going up to the top of the hill with the staff of God. The ever-present reminder that The only things that really happen here happen because God wants them to happen. And so as he's going up to seek God for the victory, he knows that once again he's up against a situation that is too much for him, just like the case in Egypt with Pharaoh. And so he's seeking God. And he knows that he's going to have to do a little more than just ask one time. Why? Because God's not a genie. Can you imagine if God just answered every prayer that we prayed to him, yes, every time? Can you imagine that for a moment? You might be thinking, yeah, that'd be nice. If that were the case, if God answered every single prayer that we prayed to him, just yes, yep, no problem, the first time that I asked, what kind of relationship would I have with him? I have none. I would have no relationship with that God. I would have no relationship. I'd have the same relationship that Aladdin has with the genie, Robin Williams. I'd have the same relationship. I'm just doing life, and then when life gets too complicated, I'm going to get the the lamp out, and I'm going to rub it, and the genie's going to pop out. I'm going to say, okay, here we go. I've got one of my wishes, God. Lord, I need you to heal this person. Great. No problem. Done. And that would be it. There would be no relationship to speak of. God, listen, Persistent Prayer teaches us that God is not a genie. The fact that we need to seek him and seek him with all of our heart, ask him more than one time for things, shows me that he is not a genie, right? So much like, much like the staff became Moses' instrument and Moses himself was God's instrument, Right? I need to remember that that's how it goes and not the other way around. Because too often, I might be tempted to think that God's my instrument to produce whatever life I would like to see. So I just seek God in prayer, and as long as I get an affirmative response, then everything is good. But if I seek God in prayer and it doesn't go exactly the way that I'm hoping, or it takes longer than what I would like it to take, I get upset. Do you know why we get upset? Because even though I won't admit it sometimes, I'm operating like God is my instrument and I'm not his. I'm his instrument. Persistent prayer teaches us that God's not a genie. So they walk up to the top of the hill and we continue in verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now, here's the key verse, verse 11, okay? Here it is. 
As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. We're going to camp out there for just a little bit because that's weird. But I'm going to need some help. Pastor Joey, could you come up? Let's give it up for Pastor Joey. You look strong, you'll do. Face the crowd. Okay. Yeah, go up. You hope not. How's it going? Good. Good? Okay, good. You're going to be there for just a little bit. All right. <laughs> you say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't say prayer in that passage. It doesn't say prayer. Okay. It's the stance of seeking God at this time, okay? So uh, prayer at this time was as physical as it was spiritual or mental to raise hands to God, particularly the staff of God to God is an act of seeking God for the victory, right? The correlation there is prayer. This is what Moses is doing. And he's got his hands raised. And it says this little interesting fact that if his hands lowered, what would happen? The Israelites would be losing. But if his hands stayed elevated, the Israelites were winning. Okay, here's number two. Persistent prayer activates the promises of God. There was a correlation between what Moses was doing and the intensity with which he was doing it and what was happening on the battlefield with the Israelites. See, we've lost this physical connection to prayer, um, but it, it might not be a bad idea for us to pick it up again a little bit. I don't know, there's, there's guys in the room who are here with us on Wednesday nights during the prayer meeting um, after the Bible study when we go in the primetime room and we pray together. And sometimes I, I will, in that room, I'll just, I'll just take a knee as we pray and turn my palms upward to God uh, just as a physical reminder of the position that I hold before him. I'm down here. I'm seeking him. He's the one who's in control. I'm hoping he's going to do something with the requests that we're lifting up to him right now. It's just a reminder. You see, this is part of, part of the connection. And so as Moses is doing this, um, do you think he's feeling it? Yes. He probably... <laughs> Starting to feel a little bit? Yeah, keep it up there. He's starting to feel it. Okay. There is a correlation between how we seek God, how we pray, and what happens in our lives. Don't miss this, right? And don't twist this either, because I just got done telling you God's not a genie, right? So who gets to decide? He does. God gets to decide. So this isn't just like I'm naming it and claiming it and I'm claiming faith and healing and all that kind of stuff in Jesus' name and it's guaranteed to happen. Nope. 
I don't hold a gun to God's head. God gets to decide. I just got done telling you God's not a genie, but I'm also going to tell you there's a correlation between how we pray for things and what happens in our lives. And if you don't think that there are some things that we are leaving on the table simply because we do not seek God for them, not really, not with our whole hearts, then I'm telling you that's not biblical either. How do we know this? Because it works this way even with the things that God has promised, which is so interesting. Doing okay? All right, let's tour scripture a little bit. The Israelites are not going into battle empty-handed. This is what's so interesting. They're not going into battle empty-handed. They've got some promises from God. Uh, Let's look at Genesis 15, 18. Genesis 15, 18 is a location where we have a promise of God. It says this, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Like, that's, that's a really big deal. Genesis 15, 18. What about Genesis 17? Genesis 17. You got the next one? I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Okay? This is God to the Israelites. He's making these promises. Right? What about this next one? Genesis 22. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Okay, that, that's pretty... If you've got God who said that to you before you go into battle with the Amalekites, are you feeling good? I'm feeling pretty good. What about this next one? Genesis 35. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. He's talking to Jacob. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I give to Abram and Isaac, I also give to you and will give this land to your descendants after you. Uh, They're not going into battle empty-handed. They've got some promises, right? So, but every time that Moses lowers his hands, they're losing? (laughs) Feeling it? Yeah. (laughs) I thought, but I thought they were promises. That this is what's going to happen. But when you lower your hands... The battle's lost. What is going on with that? Persistent prayer activates the promises of God. I can't tell you why. I can just tell you that's the system. Moses knows this. He said, no, I know there's promises. I know there are things that God has said are going to happen. But I'm still going to go to the top of this hill and raise the staff and hold it up there and seek him during the whole battle anyway. Why? Because God wants that. God wants me to seek him with my whole heart. And that's not just asking him one time for something. Persistent prayer activates the promises of God. What's God promised us? What has he promised us? Well, we have one in Philippians 4. You want to go there with me for a moment? Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will. But there's a lot of us in this room that are walking around, like I said last week, without any peace. And you're like, but I prayed. I asked God for peace. 
How many times did you pray? One? Two? Maybe three or four times here and there? Did you get on your knees every day, multiple times a day, telling God, you and you alone are the source of my peace, and I'm going to go and seek your face until there's peace in my heart about this situation? Did we do that? Then we have not because we ask not. As long as his hands were in the air, they were winning. That's a powerful statement. God wants us to seek him, even for the things that he's promised. Okay, you're good. Thank you. Sure, I can do it for longer. (laughs) Everybody, let's hear it for Pastor Joey. Okay. Why does God want persistent prayer? Okay, persistent prayer teaches me God's not a genie. Okay, God's not a genie. It's not how this works. But persistent prayer activates the promises of God. Right? We've got to be seeking him even for the things that he's promised us. He wants us to seek him. That's how badly he wants that. Uh, What about here, number three? Persistent prayer reminds me that prayer takes work. Okay? Persistent prayer reminds me that prayer takes work. What do I mean by work? I mean this, Exodus 17, verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Was Moses feeling it? Have there been times when you've been seeking God for something? Desperately seeking him for something. And at some point in time, you get tired. Literally the act of prayer tires you out. I've been here. I've been here. And you think to yourself, I've got to seek God yet again. This is day number 20, day number 30, month number three, year number three that I'm seeking God for this request. Maybe something on behalf of my children, maybe for a family member, and I'm seeking him and seeking him. And I got to be honest with you, I'm getting kind of tired. Well, when that happens, think of Moses. And understand, prayer takes work. Prayer is work. It's a bunch of work to have a prayer life. And I just want to say this as hopefully a matter of encouragement and not discouragement, is that those of you who have attempted to have a prayer life, a meaningful life in which you are seeking God's face with your whole heart and have then discovered, man, this is a bunch of work and have thought, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong because I I thought that kind of the doing spiritual things was like going to come naturally now to me now that I've got the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, if you have tried to have a prayer life and have discovered it was a bunch of work, you're not doing it wrong. That's just prayer. That's just seeking God. Anybody with me on that? That's just seeking God. You got to pray. You got to schedule that thing, man. You got to schedule prayer. You have to make time for prayer. You have to do it like you're doing a disciplined workout or a disciplined diet. 
and you got to stick with it, and there's going to be an awful lot of days where it feels like it's not doing anything. There's going to be an awful lot of days where it feels like it's just a dry, dry land. But it takes work. Moses is up there, and he's feeling it. And God, this is so interesting, God, instead of instantaneously delivering the victory, is saying, okay, okay, Moses. All right, you're feeling it in your arms now. I get it. You're seeking me with your whole heart and your whole body right now for what it's worth. Boom, Israelite victory. Nope, that's not what happens. He continues to seek God. The battle continues, and instead, he sits down. But he continues to seek Let this encourage you. Persistent prayer is not perfect prayer. Persistent prayer is not perfect prayer. It's not prayer that you execute perfectly. Persistent prayer is not something that you carry on without ever failing. There are going to be days where you falter. And that's okay. The story will be told in the long view where did you get back up on the horse after you fell off the horse for a couple of days, right? We're talking persistence over the long term. This is what we're talking about. And you know what? There's room for sitting down. That's just true. There is room for sitting down because prayer's a bunch of work and it's, it's just the way that it is. But it doesn't mean we have to do it perfectly. Which means we need to do it. We seek God with whatever you have left in the tank. At some point in time, Moses had to sit down. Well, you know what? Sometimes my prayers get a little bit shorter in the morning, depending on how long Kennedy has kept me up at night. It's just true. Persistent prayer reminds me that prayer takes work. There's something else to mine out of this verse, though, all right? And it's number four. Persistent prayer connects me to community like little else. Persistent prayer connects me to community like little else. Did you notice what happened here? Read verse 12 again. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Who's they? Aaron and Hur. Aaron and Hur then held his hands up. One on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remain steady until sunset. I love this. I love this detail. Why? Because Moses is up there seeking God for the victory for the Israelites, and he's not alone. Moses is seeking him, and he's the one holding his hands up, but eventually... They've got to hold his hands up. And this is just a beautiful picture of persistent prayer because I told you, persistent prayer over a long period of time, you're going to feel it eventually. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be tired. You're not going to want to pray. And this is where the community comes in. This is where the church comes in, right? This is where the weekly update comes in, that thing that comes out on Wednesdays and says, hey, here's some things going on with other people in your church and they would like you to pray for them. You know what they're doing? They're turning to Aaron and to her and saying, I need you to hold my arms up. That's what they're doing. Persistent prayer connects me to community like little else. Here's, here's the proof of this, right? I don't even need to teach this that much because here's the proof of this. You have experienced this, no doubt, when you're lifting up a request to God, both when you've been doing it alone and then when you recruit others to pray with you. Is it different? Yeah. 
Is your connection with those people who are praying for you different than it was before? Yes, it is. So my encouragement to you here is this. Get the community around you praying. You've got something you're seeking God for, and I mean, it's a real one. You're seeking God for your kid's salvation. You are seeking God for someone's healing. You're seeking God, even if it's just a matter of bitterness in my heart. Well, I'm seeking God to eliminate the bitterness from my heart. I need you to lift this up for me as well. I get people praying. You should get people praying. Our life groups are really good for this, by the way. Right? We're a church of groups. We've got community groups that meet right after this. You should go to one of those if you've not been going. What's the first thing we do in those groups? We pray. Lift up requests. Why? Because we want to pray persistently, and sometimes I run out of gas. And to get everybody else praying for me and for this particular thing I've been lifting up to God for weeks and weeks and months is absolutely huge and connects you to community like little else. Life groups is the same thing. We have life groups pray with and for one another. You get into a life group, it's a group of 8 to 12 people getting together, different times, different frequencies. Those of you in a life group know what I'm talking about. You sit around and talk about what's going on in life and say, man, I could really use help with this. And you lift one another up in prayer and all of a sudden you've gone from one person seeking God about this to five or six or seven people seeking God about this. You've multiplied the number of people seeking God for the same thing. And I want to tell you, God loves that. Persistent prayer connects me to community like little else. I had a friend of mine who, an older friend of mine who was diagnosed with throat cancer. And he told me a story one time about his treatment. This was a particularly aggressive form of cancer, and so uh, they had him coming in, I think, five to seven times a week for six to eight weeks. And he told me about it because of his throat cancer. They'd lay him down on his stomach inside of this thing, kind of like you're getting a massage or whatever, and then he'd put his head inside of this donut thing and, and just lay there for the extent of the treatment. And he said, at first I was kind of bored, so uh, I, I would just do that and, and I would use it to pray. So I would just use that time to pray. Like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just laying here. Might as well pray. I'm going to seek God for my healing. I'm going to seek God for a few other things. And he did that consistently every single time that he'd go in for treatment. And then he told me <laughs> about week seven, He says, he went in, they got him all set up, seven weeks of this, and they got it going, and the time came for him to start to pray, which is what he would normally do at that time. And he said, Steve, nothing came out. So I was tired. This I gathered myself and tried to pray again, and nothing came out. I was tired. And he says, and finally, these were the only words that came out of my mouth to God that day. He said, Jesus, I don't have anything left. And he says, it was in that moment that he was reminded by God. He didn't have to have it all left in the tank that day because he had a church full of people praying for him at home. 
He said, no, it's okay. They're lifting up your arms today. You just give me whatever you've got, and they're lifting up your arms and seeking me on this. He sought God for healing consistently for seven weeks, and by God's grace, he was healed. Persistent prayer connects me to community like very little else. Moses wasn't up there by himself. He wasn't up there by himself. Let's read on to the rest of the passage. Verse 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from, uh, the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. What we have there in those last few verses is our final statement here. And this is number five. Persistent prayer teaches me that the payoff isn't the result, it's the relationship. Persistent prayer teaches me that the payoff of prayer isn't the result, it's the relationship. Again, I asked at the beginning, if God answered every single one of my prayers the way I wanted him to answer them in the time I wanted him to answer that prayer, what my relationship with him would be like. It would be virtually non-existent. The payoff of persistent prayer is the relationship. He declares right here at the end, yes, the Israelites win the battle. But God declares in the midst of that victory, he says, these other guys, the Amalekites, they are going to be set against me forever. I will be against them forever. I will be for you forever. Yes, that one battle, that one skirmish was won, but the payoff there was the God who says, I'm on your side. And as we seek God with our whole heart, what happens to us is we become convinced inside, regardless of the result, regardless of how the prayer turns out, regardless of how this individual battle goes, I become convinced over time that God is on my side. The depth of relationship that persistent prayer creates means that the relationship will persist even when the prayer doesn't go the way I want it to. 